0: TheWellnesscoach.com, streaming wellness into your lives.
1: Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce.
2: Welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. Marcus Piercy with you, and boy oh boy, I'm excited because we not only get to interview one of Australia's graceful ages, a centenarian today, we get to do so alongside Australia's number one wellness expert. He is Dr. Damien Christoph. Hello, legend. Hello, legend. I can't tell you, I'm actually a little bit emotional about it today.
0: I am emotional about it. I'm excited. I've never been so excited. Uh, actually, I've been this excited probably two times in my life. One, three, three times in my life. One, when I was getting married to Amber. Two, when Jackson was being born. And three, when Richmond won the 2017 grand final. Um, have I been this excited and uh, and I feel blessed today. So I'm excited about today. Piercy.
2: I think it's very special. We are celebrating Mother's Day and when Damo and I thought about how do we celebrate or commemorate Mother's Day and, uh, you know, to share our thanks to the wonderful women of the world that have raised some incredible human beings and lived wonderful lives. Damo had the great idea to interview his grandmother by marriage. Isabel, Damien, I'm going to hand it over to you to introduce your lovely uh, grandmother by marriage.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Piercy.
2: Uh, Piercy,
0: the world knows how I felt about my grandfather, um and loved him to bits, and he he lasted for three you know fifteen days short of one hundred years old, and I thought that he'd make that mark and he would he would be there. My favorite woman in the world, apart from my mum and amber uh was my nana, and then her shoes were filled by a beautiful woman who i've only known for about sixteen years and uh, And Isabel Wallace, who I affectionately call Hitty, is amber's grandmother and the mother of Nick and Jill. And she is the most incredible woman you'll come across. She's sharp as a tack. She's absolutely beautiful. When I cuddle her, you feel like you're enveloping her because she's tiny. She's knee-high to a grasshopper. Um, But she has the presence of a 1,000 men in a room. She's unbelievable. She turns heads wherever she goes. She's a crowd favorite. I love her to bits, and I love speaking with her. And I want to welcome you to 100 Not Out, Isabel Hitty. It's wonderful to have you here with Marcus and me today to share with our audience your life and and your lessons. Isabel, thank you for joining
1: us. Thank you, Damien and Marcus. Those words are just a bit too much for me. I'll probably be a dead flop because (laughs) of the wonderful words that come first. Uh, Actually, I've agonised a little bit about today, so I hope I'll be all right. Well,
2: Bye. Isabel, you recently turned 100, an incredible milestone, uh, December yeah. last year. Does it feel, it's a bit like when someone asks you after you get married and, you know, how does it feel? Does it feel different having three, you know, three numbers to 100 candles on the cake? What does it feel like to be 100.
1: Well, actually, I've thought quite a bit about it since I turned 100, and, and I've had mixed feelings. Sometimes I feel it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Other times I feel, well, what's the difference? I don't feel any different from what I felt when I was about 90 or <laughs> 99. <laughs> but but it's still, it's I, I realise, and it's an achievement, which has been out of my hands. I so nearly thought, well, I'll never make it. Beforehand, I was counting the days and I thought, I'll never make it. And I used to say to my daughter, Jill, oh, no, I'll never make 100. And to my son, Nick, I'll never make it. And they'll say, well, you've only got a month to go. <laughs> <laughs> you've only got such and such a time to go. And, and do you know what I really felt? Well, the minute I turned 100, if I did, that that would be stone motherless. End of me. I thought <laughs> I'd, I'd pass away when I turned 100. But funnily enough, I'm still here and I don't feel any different from what I felt beforehand. So it's not such a milestone as people think. If they can get over some of the hurdles along the way, and there were plenty of hurdles, and they're blessed with great kids and great grandkids mm. and great extended family when well, you live on.
0: That is true, Hedy. We actually, um, we feared at one point that we were gonna lose you, uh, because you were very sick, and that's the yeah. reason why you moved from Coffs Harbor. Because uh, people won't know this, but yeah. um, you, you were living in Coffs Harbor, um, by yourself in Coffs Harbor as the president yeah. of, the, of the bridge club, and you uh, yeah. you fell ill, you had food poisoning, you hadn't eaten for a few <laughs> days, you fainted, um, and you know, you for as for, you know, I don't know, you probably weigh on a good day about 45 kilograms. I think you dropped down to about 30 something kilograms uh, when you were crook. I did. And, uh, and, and fortunately, we were able to bring you to Melbourne, which was great. So bringing you to Melbourne meant that we were all able to spend more time with you. Uh, your grandchildren were able to spend time with you, your great-grandchildren, you'd be able to see all of them born and grow up. I mean, Jackson's your oldest great-grandchild and he's 20, nearly 21. And then we go down to uh, Charlie Charlie and Tim's like youngest baby. And, and how old is she? Might be only a few months old now. And, and so you've seen this great span of great-grandchildren come into your life, which I think has given you more life. Would you say that you feel probably more alive now than what you did when you first moved to Melbourne?
1: Uh, I was quite prepared to be dead when I first moved to Melbourne mm-hmm. and then I began to, to be introduced to my family again and I, it's just made all the difference in the world to me. I've, I love my family. I love them. I there, was, there are just not enough words to describe how much they've meant to me and how they've kept me alive. First, my two kids, Jill and Nick, and they've been, well, they're completely different kids, you know. One is so different from the other, but they're both very precious, and they're wonderful. And then the extended families, their marriages and the people they've brought into the family, and one by one I've met them and loved them, and they've all helped me with getting along with life i just don't think i'd be alive without them mm.
2: isabel it's a, it's a sorry go on
1: yeah marcus go on.
2: oh thanks isabel um you mentioned you just said that you don't think that you could go on without them there is uh, in all of our research an incredible amount of purpose that Family provides now. Yesterday, as the day that when this uh, episode or interview is released, yesterday in Australia was Mother's Day. What can you describe for people? I, I mean, I think uh, as a father, I look at my wife Sarah, uh, who was a chiropractor by profession and decided to become a, a, a stay-at-home uh, mum. Uh, she felt just called to to be a mum, and I look at her with just awe and wonder. Um, I, I don't know how how Sarah and, and millions of mothers do it. I have just great respect. Can you describe for us the feeling um, of what it's like to be a mum? You, you say it gives you purpose. Can you, just, can you put that into words, um, if you can?
1: Well, I can tell you that my kids are eight years apart, which is a big span in life. And Jill was the firstborn. and I can remember when she was born. I can remember first of all the labour, which was anything but delicious. But however, when she was born, and I looked at her, I thought it's been all worth it. She looked so beautiful, redhead and all. She just looked a luscious, luscious, luscious thing, and I thought, oh, I'm never going to be like, I'm never going to be on my own again. I've got her, and right from the start. I knew I had somebody to back me up. And to be a mum, well, I was a bit worried about being a mum. I will admit that whether I'd be successful or not because I think everything that you do in life, when it's different, and this was completely different from being free, being tied up as a mum for the rest of your life, not just for that instant when they're born, but you knew it was going to go on and on and on. And then eight years later, then she grew up and she was eight years old, and then Nick was born. And where she was a flaming redhead, I had the first, my first look at this newborn was a little dark eyed, dark haired boy. And I thought, wow, how will I ever cope with him? How will I be a mum to him? <laughs> but it's kind of automatic, you know? You just love, you love your kids with a passion. And nothing can take that away from you, and and well, I suppose you devote everything to your kids because they mean so much to you, and without them, you just wouldn't be here because they keep you propped up. As I say, both differently, but but both beautifully, um, beautifully sing simple sing singular in that they they both act differently to you and but they both do things for you yeah. make your life
2: worthwhile
0: yeah well, I think yeah. Uh, hedy it's uh it's wonderful to hear you speak like that about both Nick and Jill and uh, and I know them both very well and I and I can hear what you're saying there and, and I love that and one of my question was going to be what gets you out of bed each day and and do you feel like you've got purpose but when I hear you talk about Nick and Jill and I can I can hear that there's purpose there but you don't get to see yeah. Nick and Jill every day. You don't get to see your grandchildren every day, and you don't get to see your great-grandchildren every day. So, what what is it that gets you out of bed every single day now? What what do you feel like your purpose is these days, Hitty? Because
1: well, um, we mainly I mean is to get up for for, break, for breakfast. It's the main thirty in the morning <laughs> to, to get up and see if the Porridge is delicious, or whether it's lumpy or not. At 6.30 every morning, that's in my brain. But the purpose to get out of bed is is just not to stagnate in the bed. Yes. You know, uh, uh, you could easily, when you get old, when you get to be 100, you could easily give up and think, oh, well, you know, I don't need to get up today. I'm very tired. I'll sleep in. But if you were to give up like that... Well, I think you'd be sleeping in for a lot longer than a few
0: hours. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. In fact, you may not um, ever get up if you just kept on, if you go up the ghost. Um, Hitty, do, do you think that uh, given that Melbourne's having a bumpy year this year um, and you're, is it 6-0 and zero or 7-0? 7-0. 6-0, I think. Well, it depends on what happens this weekend, I suppose, and when this goes out. So it, it'll be interesting. But uh, Hitty, do you think that's giving you purpose? Do you want to see them win a grand final before you you pull up stumps?
1: Well, you know, I have seen them win a grand
0: final. Well, another you know, one, another they, one. You know, you know what i yeah, yeah, another one. Hitty. Would be
1: nice. There's not many would, people left on the but, planet
0: who have actually seen Melbourne win a grand final, but, <laughs> but you have. No,
1: but it it, w- it would be nice, but. It, it's funny how you're unconvinced. You know, I think they're going so well. Next week, it, it won't be so good. You, mm. You're always a doubting Thomas. You can't <laughs> ever accept the fact that <laughs> that they appear to be so good. But I think...
2: Sorry, go on, Isabel.
1: No, it's uh, okay. Yeah. Ready, I finished. I was just going to say,
0: before you go on there, PC, because one of Isabel's great skills, Hitty's great skills, is the footy tipping. And I actually don't recall a year that you either haven't come first or second in the year of footy tipping. And and I suspect this year, Hitty, you're also leading the footy tipping. Would that be true? That's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you
1: go. I'm now sitting, I think, after this very bad weekend was very hard and I didn't do well. I think
2: I'm now second. (laughs) Plenty of time for you to make a comeback. Now, Damien did mention, Isabel, that you are one of the few remaining human beings that were alive when Melbourne won a premiership back in 1964. But if I can take you back perhaps another 20 years before then as the Second World War was coming to a close, many of us uh, living in Australia have now, these days, I was born in 1981, we haven't experienced times like we have in the last 12 or 18 months. But my fascination with people that have lived through wars um, would normally tell me that what we've lived through in the last 12 or 18 months is nothing compared to what it is to live through war times. Can you take us back to those times when you were in your mid-20s and Australia was a very different country back then and, and and what those experiences do for you in times like these COVID times?
1: I can. I can take you back to that time because at that stage, when war broke out, Second World War broke out, I was just leaving Teachers College and I had my first school to go to and you wouldn't believe it, but I chose Malakuta. <laughs> I think I chose it on its name because it appealed to me. But I couldn't believe <laughs> when I was actually going to Mallacoota to take up the post that I, I thought to myself, I will never get there because you didn't just fly or you didn't just get in a train or a bus. You had to do things like go to Bairnsdale by train, then get out of the train and go to Can River and stay overnight in Can River and and then go on the next day by bus to Malakuta. And then to find that I was going to literally just a little... uh, It was kind of a very, very, very small school, and now it's a booming high school, but this was a very, very tiny school, one teacher school. And I think I had about 14 pupils and two boys who used to row across from Gabo Island each day if the weather was good. And so I was in a very small environment and it was a fishing village then. Now it's livened up and you know how often Malakuta is is mentioned now. People are really keen on the place. And I just fell in love with the kids there. They were beautiful and they taught me and I realised how dumb I was. They taught me compass points. They taught me about wildflowers and the names of wildflowers and they taught me everything but we did you know it was a beautiful experience that because as i say, i loved the kids and we built an air air raid shelter out the back of our school out at the back of the school and the kids came along with their with their hose and their picks and their shovels and they made this very very deep slit in the earth And even the little kids came along with their buckets and spades and everybody worked hard to build this air raid shelter with the result that the first time it rained, the air raid shelter got full of water and became a a definite danger point for the kids because quite easily any of the kids could have drowned. Then I had to get the... There was an Air Force contingent there, so I had to get the Air Force in to empty the, the ditch that they'd built, and and, and it, it we had wonderful experiences there. It was it was like as if I'd lived there for a lifetime. And now when I hear Malakuta being mentioned so much, well, think of the dreadful bushfires last year. Mm. But when I heard, I think of myself there, in love with the kids, in love with the place, in love with some of the airmen in the army. There was a, <laughs> an army contingent there as well. So it, it was a great place for a young woman to to really grow up. That's where I grew up, but different life from what it is now. Yes, we were petrified about the war, and we had to be very careful of of closing all squeaks of light mm-hmm. and not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable to. It was the Japanese who were fighting then, and and we had to be very careful because they sent airplanes over spying on us all the time mm-hmm. so we had to watch that but now we've got different concerns we've got the COVID concern now mm-hmm. which because I'm a 100 I don't feel inside as much as I felt inside when the war was on because every day during wartime every newspaper had the list of the killed in action or wounded in action and you couldn't go a day without seeing somebody anew in the newspaper. It was either killed in action or wounded in action. Well, now you've got this terrible um, COVID thing where people just die. Mm. Look at India where they're dying in thousands or millions. Mm. So it, it seems to me as if you're plagued nearly all your life, plagued by either war. Or, well, I don't know which is better, really. Neither is any good. No. either one is pretty foul hmm. but it's a different dark.
0: it is it is definitely a different life and you know if you can if we kept on the reminiscing um you know talking about your time in malacoota is that where you met ernie had you snuck out one night um from teachers <laughs> from your teaching somewhere and snuck out and bumped into ernie somewhere in a dark alley is that what happened there hitty
1: Damon, I would never
0: have snuck out. You know, I told you in the beginning <laughs> I was pure. I know better than that.
1: never would have snuck out. Never would have snuck out. But you wouldn't believe I was only at Mallacooter, I think, for two days before Ernie came down with a uh, not a squadron, like I my mother called them, a platoon of infra- infantry men. Yes. And it was the beginning of the war. And I didn't sneak out to see him, but He got as far as Orbost in, uh, I suppose it was a train or a... No, he came in an army truck. And the lieutenant who was there before... He was a lieutenant. And the lieutenant who was there before him said, I can remember so well. He he was wondering who who was going to replace him. And he said, I hope it isn't Wallace. (laughs) And I, I said to him, why do you hope it isn't Wallace? And he said, "Because I think it'd fall for Wallace." Oh, and I said, okay, and don't you did. Be ridic- well, I went, he said, "We'll go. I'll take you up to Orbus, which was we did things that you never you would be now jailed for doing, or you'd be locked up."
2: Oh, tell and us what they were. We want to hide. know.
1: <laughs> and he said, "If you hide in the army truck or the army tender, whatever it was called." well, I'll be able to take you up to Orbost to meet whoever it is. So I had to get right down in the truck, in the front of the truck near the driver and hide whilst we got into Orbost. And then in came this army truck and he said, ah, damn, Wallace, it's Wallace. And I thought, hooray, (laughs) it's Wallace. Wallace, I can't wait to see this Wallace. And so... This Wallace ca- then came up to our truck and introduced himself. Well, uh, 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 my driver knew him, my left and knew him, but he came and, and made himself known to, and was introduced to me. And I thought, oh, what a hunk. He was really beautiful. He had, his, he had his army shorts on and he was brown all over and and he was young and vibrant. And I thought, oh, boy, no wonder... No wonder this Theo had said to me, I think it'd fall for him. And I thought I've already formed for him and I've only said two words for him. <laughs> well, the next day we got home to Mallacoota and I went to where I was boarding and they went out to the Air Force, to the airstrip. And the next day came into the school. And I can remember looking out the window. And, of course, the kids knew everything up there. They didn't. You know, they, they could see my interest in him, and they were for pushing me on. And I could I could see him coming up to the school, and I thought beautiful. So went to the school door, and there he was. And he was also chatty and so friendly. So that and I fell for him, of course. And and I don't think he, he was prepared to fall for anybody. I think he was just you know he was just going to be friendly. But gee was once I got my clutches into him, he didn't get away. <laughs> but, but we had a lot of interesting things. Another time when we were there, we decided would a couple of the girls, there were only about oh, six girls in Mallacoota and all these men. And we decided, I bought it at the, at the pub then, and we decided we'd go out to the airstrip, which was a sinful thing to do because... Particularly, we were girls and, and young girls, and we weren't very high. And they, when we got there, they thought we were japs. But we had to bribe some of my husband Ernie's men to lend some of our, their uniforms. So we had these great uniforms, which were a mile too big for us, even though they were only little. And we staggered out. One of the girls could drive uh, her father's truck, and we went off over the Betka River. There was a river dividing us with the airstrip. And because you weren't allowed to go anywhere near the airstrip, because it was territory that was dangerous and and only fit for the enemy, and we had to try and get over the bridge, and we had to bribe. We took, because it was from the pub, we took beer and and cigarettes, Mm -hmm. we pretended we were smokers. We had these butts all over the floor. And so we bribed the men who were guarding the Bedka River with bayonets, I might add, with bayonets. <laughs> and we bribed them and said, look, we're only pretending. We're just going out to see the boys. And and so we got through, and they, they could have been court-martialed for letting us through, of course. And when we got there, there was a ter- terrific siren and the whole of the airstrip was was alerted that the, the foreigners were, had invaded, and so they came at us with bayonets to get us because they <laughs> thought they we were little Japs. And one of them, and one of them fell down the ditch and broke his leg, and that meant that my poor Ernie, who was in charge, had to admit who I think their heads were at Bensdale then, had to admit that that his men had let us through, and that's what caused it. And he was almost court-martialed. But see, we didn't. Even though it was tough times, we were still able to do wicked things.
2: Yeah. I love how much. Life. I love how much risk you took to fall in love, Isabel. I just love the story of your love story. And I would, you you told Damien and I before we did the interview that um, your husband Ernie died, I think Damien was saying it was 1999, so a bit over 20 years ago. You were married for more than 50 years. And you said before we started the interview that you would love to be able to talk to him, that you said there was something very special about being able to talk to people that you really, really love. Can Can you share with us you know the role that love has played for you in your life, and particularly that intimate love um, of a soulmate. Because uh, the reality is, Isabel, that more and more people uh, today in in the Western world live alone and and decide not to partner up and and you know take the risk to fall in love, which is what you you definitely did. Can you share with us the payoff of? Um, of playing full out in order to fall in love and connect with someone like Ernie for over 50 years?
1: Well, Marcus, it's not all beer and Skittles. You do have (laughs) your ups and downs. (laughs) I think marriage, anybody who tells you marriage is easy, well, I always look at them and think, well, you know, you should have a psychoanalyzing you because I don't think marriage is easy. I think it's darned hard. You have to work hard on it. And I think we did. We did. But it, when you have your husband or husband has his wife, you don't realise what a precious commodity it is till after they've gone. And so often when I come to bed at night, I think, oh, I'd love to be able to tell Ernie this. I'd love. And then I think, just like to be able to talk to him. Mm. You know it's lonely. it's a lonely life when you've had love and when you've had uh, when you've had kids together and you've got your kids to talk about. I think you want to tell them what the the grandkids or what the kids have been doing mm. and and you know how proud they'd be and and it's it's very hard to know you can't tell them mm. because my grandkids have been stars too. Absolutely, and not have been, our stars. And I would just love to be able to tell my husband things like that. But see, you can't do it anymore. Mm. Life's tough when you're 100 mm. and all your loved ones have gone. It's. Um... I think of my time in Coffs Harbour, and I think, well, probably there wouldn't be anybody left up there. We wouldn't be able to yeah. play my bridge yeah mm
0: i uh so, amber and i amber and I were walking through the um through the national park the other day and we were reflecting on um when people pass away you know whether it be tony whether it be ernie whether it be you know rock my grandfather or even my grandmother yeah. um you know what what are they thinking when they're up there you know are they having a discussion are they you know looking down at us going well you know you got to stick around, hopefully you did something good with your life and um and what are they thinking about when they're up there? so we were thinking about that just the other day and um you know I, it, it just what you were just talking about there, Hiddy, makes me wonder um you know what 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 are the conversations that they're having if they're having anything but I know that they probably want to be telling us and sharing wisdom with us as well. I'm sure of it, Hitty, what are your views on aging and um and what are your views on older people? Obviously I, I don't I don't I don't think in Australia we do it really well. Um I think we're blessed that we've got a facility where you're able to stay and, and feel safe and secure. But what what how do you feel about aging and, and older people these days? Ah, uh, Well
1: Damien I don't it was just Damien or Marcus. Yeah, it was me, I don't Damien. Know. Yeah. Well I, I don't know how I don't know how normal-aged age, people feel. I only know that I've been very, very fortunate to have... And, and I would never have said this to you early because I always thought that old people, poor individuals, they had to go into a nursing home. Mm-hmm. Well, now, my views on a nursing home have changed dramatically because this is a absolutely perfect nursing home in the fact that we've got wonderful staff here. The girls, the carers, the nurses, they were all so kind and wonderful. The management, they kept COVID out of this place. They locked us down. They they did everything to keep it out and they kept it out. And to age and be, be lucky enough to have found somewhere to live I can remember remember when I came down from Coffs Harbour and the kids said, you can't live up here in hospital, you're too sick and you can't live on your own, you've got to come to Melbourne. And I can remember saying, well, and I'd made this, into this was in my mind so often beforehand that I would never live with my kids because I thought they were young, they had lives to lead, they didn't need to be tied down with an old person in the house. So I said to them, I'll come to Melbourne then if you find me somewhere to live. Well, it was a kind of lottery, although they wouldn't say it was a lottery because it went round to a lot of places and they found this place and I've been blessed because it is beautiful. The management, absolutely 100% behind the management I am. Not any of them could be better, I don't think. I haven't had any nastiness. I haven't had any... Anybody have any gripe with me it, it's, been, it's been wonderful and I've been very lucky. Ageing I would say if people could find somewhere nice to live I don't advocate living with your kids because I don't think that's good for either side that's just my personal opinion. A lot of people think differently. Now Is it- I, I think I'm lucky
2: I think you've lived an incredible life, Isabel. You touch on the community of people that you live with, that you have connected incredibly well with them, and uh, you did help us interview Melbourne Premiership player Noel McMahon, a bit over five years ago, who is a um, a, a neighbour of yours uh, where you live. What what about when you reflect on your life? What role has friendship and and community and social circles played on your life? Have you have you lived an active social life over the years?
1: Oh, yes, I did. I did. Now, I was in Cost Harbour for, what, over 20 years and before that Bendigo and I was very social in the fact that I played bridge and in Cost Harbour I played up to four days a week and I was competitive. It's so no use playing bridge if you're not competitive. If You have to be competitive. I can remember... If you fall out with your partners, it's never your fault when there's trouble. It's always your partner's fault. And I can remember falling out with my partner, and I was alerted by her because her husband said to her, what did she, the she being me, call you today? That's names. And so I remember being so savage with her for something <laughs> she did that I said, you're a dickhead you're a dickhead (laughs) with that she threw the cards on the table and it was a competition you can't throw your cards on the table but she did and she said and I'm never playing with you again so she marched out and we never played together again but see that's just one instant mainly everybody mainly after bridge finishes people become friendly again and and it, we would always go out to lunch after bridge, socially and enjoy it thoroughly. Although that's where I got food poisoning at one of the restaurants.
2: But that was the uh, partner of yours. She yeah. actually yeah. put that food. Uh, she poisoned that food. Yeah, she did something to that dim sim. Yeah, totally. Mm.
1: She must have fancy <laughs> fancy calling anybody a dickhead. especially a <laughs> especially a nice woman, and she was a nice woman and didn't deserve that, but she didn't. We never really spoke together again. But Bridge, social, yeah, I had wonderful social time. Besides, oh, earlier on, of course, I played sport, but I only played Bridge in Coffs Harbour. But always lunch, there was always lunch afterwards, Every birthday, for everybody we knew, we'd go out on the town for birthdays. But you can do... And you know, I always had a good social life, even early on when I was married to Ernie. And I can tell you one funny story. When I think of my life and I think of the socialising, the, the one thing that was vitally important to me was to get an invitation to the Merrill Ball. Everybody in town wanted an invitation to the Merrill Ball. And, of course, I wasn't any different from anybody else. And I really, really wanted that. And finally, although I don't think it could have been finally because it was very early in my married life, but we got this invitation. And I can remember getting a new dress. Talk about socialising. It was off the shoulders and it it was backless. And, oh, did I think I was just Christmas? And so I was about to socialise at the Merrill Ball. And we had a party at our house beforehand, and I didn't know about the evil potential of gin at that stage. (laughs) And somebody at the party said, give her a gin. And I had a gin, and I didn't really at this stage even taste it. And I thought it was tasteless stuff. So I got really onto the gin And and I think Ernie might have been on the gin too. I'm not sure about that. But we got to the mayoral ball and I can remember the first dance was a foxtrot and, oh, smart, me, smarty in my regalia. So around we went and when we got dead in front of the mayor and the mayoress, I fell flat on the floor and dragged Ernie down too. So the (laughs) pair of us are flat on the floor this is our socialising when I was young. Well, it took a lot of hard work to get another invitation, I can assure you. Did, we did plenty of socialising, but can you imagine? That That's a blemish on my life. When I don't think of the bad things I've done in life, that's one of the bad things. <laughs> Falling in front of the mayor and mayoress. Oh, that, that's a disgrace. <laughs> but, yeah, plenty of, Plenty of socialising. We, we actually were very social. We had a lot of parties, went out a lot, always keen on sport, played golf, played tennis, played real, and then lawn bowls. No, socialise. And, and so you can socialise until you're very old. But then comes a point in the really old age, I'm talking in the 100 era, and up to 80s. I think I was young at 80, but from there on I began to get too old to socialise, but I've done plenty of that. And, and most of most people do do plenty of socialising. And I can remember, that, remember Damien meeting Pa, mm. your Pa, and I loved Pa, and we used to go out and have lunch, didn't we? Yeah. At that lovely place near the Yarra. Yeah. And I, I just loved those days. Yeah. I've uh, I've
0: done plenty of socialising yeah. and enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah. One of but- our great joys, Ambers of my great joys, is to go and pick up Isabel from the nursing home and take her out for lunch and yeah. you know, we often think it'll take us a couple yeah. of hours, but it's the better part of half a day and we uh and we absolutely <laughs> love it. It's uh it's one of the greatest yeah. things we do um, in our in our month is to go and see you, Hitty. We absolutely love it. I've learned a few things today from you, Hitty, um, that are very similar to Amber, actually. And uh, and and, I, and I'm I'm, ca- I'm cautious to s- how I'm going to say this. Uh, one is that Amber also has a love of gin. Um, she can't drink as well as what you can, I, I think, <laughs> Hitty. Uh, definitely. Uh, I I, I now understand why Amber fell so heavily in love with me when she first saw me uh, because that must be genetic Uh as well. I think that's what's happened there. I think that's what happened. Probably. Um, Probably. And and I suspect even though Amber plays the good girl card, I think she was probably as naughty as what you were when she was as young as what you were when you were really naughty. I'm yet to see that. Yeah, but I'm sure that I will. I'm sure that I will. But I've I've absolutely loved listening to your stories today, Hitty. Um, I love you to bits, and I know that everybody who's listened to you today uh, will love you to bits as well. But I, I can tell you this, Hitty: you've made a mark on tens of thousands of people's lives. Everybody that you've come into contact with throughout your whole lifetime and everybody who's blessed enough to celebrate with you on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis just to hang out with you, um, you, you've made a a life-lasting mark on their life, which is of greatness. And I just want to thank you. And I'm I'm grateful that you came into my life. So thank you, Hedy. I
1: make tears come to my eyes. And thank you for taking the time and for listening to me. Hmm.
2: Oh, question. we could do it for hours, Isabel. It's been an absolute joy. And a lot of our listeners who have joined us on our Facebook Live are saying things like, I just want to hug her. She sounds so cute. And Trudy <laughs> Petter says, Amber, I love her. Uh, so, as Damien <laughs> says, you are bringing joy to a lot of people. And uh, we are so grateful for your contribution and for sharing your stories. And we love the wicked stories, they're the best ones. Um, <laughs> isabel wallace at 100 awesome. there are there'd be plenty more but we'd like to wish you and i know you might say that your best years have been the years preceding but we would like to wish every guest on this podcast may the rest of your life isabel wallace be the best of your life and thank you so much for joining us on 100 not out today
1: thank you marcus thank you damon
2: thank you eddie Thank you Damo for organizing this interview with uh, your grandmother and to all of the mums out there uh, we thank you for your contribution to humanity uh mother's day it is again some of us think it's a marketing day and for many people it is but it's just a timely reminder to thank our mums and our grandparents uh for the wonderful contribution they make to our lives for more on the great man that is damien Christoph, head on over to damienchristophe.com myself MarcusPierce.com.au. to all of our loyal listeners and viewers thank you for your support of our message and until next time continue to make the rest of your life the best of your life bye for now